Welcome to this special edition of Allergy Talk from the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I am Dr. Purvi Parikh, and this is the second episode in a three-part series on cough, Diagnosing the Patient's Cough. Joining me are Dr. Kevin Murphy, the Director of Clinical Research at Boystown National Research Hospital in Omaha, Nebraska. He completed a fellowship in allergy, asthma, immunology, and pediatric pulmonary at National Jewish Hospital. He is a spokesperson for the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. And Dr. Mandel Scher, Clinical Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at Morsini College of Medicine at University of Southern Florida in the Division of Allergy and Immunology. Dr. Scher is the head of the Center for Cough in Largo, Florida, with large chronic cough population and engaged in clinical investigation in promising and novel cough suppressants and controllers. He is a speaker on local, regional, and national levels on diagnosis and treatment of chronic cough and is also a spokesperson for the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Thanks for joining us again, doctors. So let's get started. Mandel, can you tell us about the diagnostic approach for chronic cough in adults? Uh, Thank you, Pervy. Um, Chronic cough is defined as a cough lasting more than eight weeks. You know, and first and foremost, our clinical obligation is an attempt to identify the cause for that cough, be it from an anatomic problem or some other issue. Maybe they're on an ACE inhibitor, which we, we know that they're associated with chronic cough. So there's been a common approach to cough over the last decades. And the mantra has gone that in a non-smoker who has a normal chest X-ray, which is extremely important uh, in ruling out particularly malignancies, and not being on an ACE inhibitor, you, you proceed through an anatomic approach, if you will, in trying to find the cause of a cough. And it includes the triad of an upper airway, lower airway, and gastroesophageal uh, contribution, be it acid or non-acid. I think we as allergists are highly expert in evaluating and treating upper airway involvement. But the point I'd like to make, and I think for us who are rhinologists as allergists, is that cough as a sole manifestation of upper airway disease is really uncommon. Upper airway disease almost involves other symptoms, be it mucus or nasal congestion, sinus pressure. So I I think we're really good at at doing that. Identifying lower chest disease is a little bit more problematic. We're expertise in that as allergists, but cough may be the sole manifestation of lower respiratory disease. Cough asthma, interstitial pulmonary fibrosis, other diagnoses, Uh, can present with cough, but with only a cough. And there, I think that's where other diagnostic tests are helpful. And I'd like to emphasize the high-resolution chest CT scan. Using a high-res chest CT scan earlier when you're not finding a readable diagnosis, I think is, is, is extremely important. And then there's the issue of acid and non-acid reflux where there's various diagnostic and uh, therapeutic approaches. History is always important. And I'd like to emphasize the history of mucus production. Kevin, in our last session, talked about dry cough and mucus cough 
as it refers to children. I'd like to emphasize that also in adults. Looking for objective evidence of mucus is important. If you're making mucus, the odds are you have an anatomic problem causing your cough. But again, patients, coughers, have neurosensory hypersensitivity, so they complain of post-nasal drip. But many times that's a sensation rather than objective mucus production. So it's important to pursue that uh, uh, much further. Um, and, and furthermore, I think we'll talk a little bit more GERD, but I'd like to hear what Dr. Murphy has to say regarding pediatric patients. Mandel, I really uh, like the way you think about the approach to adults in an anatomical approach, uh, the upper lower airway and then the GI tract. Uh, in pediatric cough, uh, we we think a lot about uh, etiology, time frame, and characteristics, as you mentioned, uh, moist uh, versus dry cough. Uh, in pediatric cough, uh, one of the approaches is to think about specific and non-specific etiologies for cough. When I say specific, it refers to cough uh, in the presence of symptoms that suggest an underlying etiology. And that's where in pediatrics, a very thorough history and exam is necessary when assessing children with cough. As in the majority of patients, uh, specific cough etiologies can be defined in children. And unlike adults, where cough characteristics have been shown to be of little diagnostic value, certain cough qualities, such as a staccato cough, are often very diagnostic in children. Recent studies have looked at larger group, groups of children and have found that etiologies of cough can be thought of as four specific categories, and they include asthma, a protracted bacterial bronchitis, upper airway cough syndrome, and then a group of miscellaneous etiologies, which include cardiac disease, foreign body, pertussis, and habit cough. I, I would make the point that in children, gastroesophageal reflux is uncommon as an etiology of chronic cough. And of the four common specific conditions or etiologies of cough in children, cough variant asthma and protracted bacterial bronchitis are thought to be the most common. Yeah, I mean, that's very interesting, especially the point, you know, made regarding mucus as a contributory factor to possible anatomic abnormalities, because often, and especially patients, tend to associate any production of mucus with some type of infection or a specifically a bacterial infection. And often, you know, they feel antibiotics may be the solution, but it is important, you know, to think out of the box ideas or diagnoses such as an anatomic issue. And, you know, I couldn't agree more that it really does vary by children or adults. And often there is a lot of confusion amongst even other clinicians who may be referring a patient or parents as well. So again, the managing of expectations and patient education is extremely important. On that note, I know, Kevin, you had mentioned, you know, the prolonged bacterial bronchitis. 
or protracted bacterial bronchitis as one of the most common etiologies in children. Could you expand more on that, specifically its presentation and treatment? Yes, I'd, I'd be glad to, to mention a few things about protracted bacterial bronchitis as it's a very important condition that leads to chronic cough and presents as a chronic wet day and nighttime cough. And some children will have associated noisy breathing or wheezing. It's interesting that when one looks at uh, bronchial alveolar lavage in these children, uh, a couple of things are demonstrated that, that really lead to the treatment of these children. The first is, is that close to 90% of these children who have protract, protracted bacterial bronchitis will have uh, increased numbers of neutrophils and will also have high colony counts of Streptococcus pneumoniae and Haemophilus influenza. It's interesting, too, that as, as was mentioned, the anatomy plays a role as a number of these children will have underlying anatomical abnormalities such as tracheomalacia, bronchiomalacia, or both. In fact, it's been reported that up to 75% of patients with protracted bacterial bronchitis, especially the younger children, will have underlying anatomical abnormalities. Important, especially based on bronchial alveolar lavage data, is the treatment with high-dose amoxicillin clavionic acid can result in a significant resolution in almost all patients. However, uh, it's been reported that as successful as the initial treatment, a number of, of patients will have reoccurrence of symptoms and will require repeated courses of antibiotics. Protracted bacterial bronchitis uh, is an important consideration in thinking about uh, children, especially younger children who have persisting chronic cough. Kevin, um, I'm an allergist. You're a pulmonologist, and I'm intrigued by the concept of PBB in that um, as an allergist, we see a whole lot of chronic sinusitis with the same organisms that you're seeing in PBB. And what about the concept that actually... PBB is the result of an undertreated or unrecognized chronic sinusitis that then seeds the uh, lower lungs, with the treatment being the same, that if you treat with prolonged uh, antibiotics for PBB, you may actually be treating the sinus infection uh, along with the secondary uh, bacterial bronchitis. It's interesting that you uh, bring up that, the notion of, in some ways, uh, how we used to think about the, the united or one airway. Uh, there is uh, very good data in, in children that uh, assessment of, of cough, particularly chronic cough, with uh, a simple water's view of the sinus uh, can be helpful as uh, findings of chronic sinus disease are common in children who present with cough and, and they respond very nicely to antibiotic therapy. I hadn't thought about it in the, the way that you uh, presented things in regard to the upper airway leading to the lower airway. And, and now as I think about it, we see these younger children who have evidence of purulent nasal drainage, nasal congestion, and have this wet cough, if you will. 
that keeps them up at night and often is what brings them to our office. And it, it may well be, particularly if, if we can see these patients earlier in the disease, they, they may have a better response to antibiotic therapy before their lower airway is seeded with pathogens, uh, particularly Haemophilus influenza and strep uh, pneumonia. So I'm, I, I'm, 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 really think it's important that you you bring up this concept of thinking about the upper airway uh, when discussing protracted bacterial bronchitis. So one question that came to my mind, um, you know, being we're all immunologists as much as allergists, do you think that these children uh, deserve an immune workup if they are having uh, these protracted bacterial infections, whether it be in their sinuses or in their lungs? Well, I will start that discussion and look forward to, to Mandel's thoughts. I, I do think that chronicity uh, always moves me into the direction of, of an initial immunological uh, evaluation. And I, I say that in that uh, as we get better at, at thinking about children with chronic cough and particularly thinking about specific etiologies, that we can uncover, uh, in my experience, uh, it's less likely that they have underlying immune deficiency. However, if we're not able to, to define an etiology, certainly, particularly those children with recurring upper airway infection and recurring infection, an immunological evaluation would be important. Mandel, what's your thoughts and your experience in, in your pediatric population? Well, uh, my other hat is a pediatric allergist, immunologist uh, down at uh, Johns Hopkins, all children, so have done this for about 35 years, so I appreciate the input, but, uh, you know, the, the, the rules are unusual infection, recurrent infections, or prolonged infections, and I, I, I do suspect if someone is having PBB and it's taking a lot of antibiotics, and, and it's in a context of a history of having recurrent uh, respiratory infections requiring antibiotics. I think an immunologic screen looking for humoral immune deficiency is 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 worthwhile. All right, thank you. Shifting again away from the immune system, uh, Mandel. What about the role of uh, GERD or gastroesophageal reflux in cough? Are there any well, new thoughts there? Absolutely, Pervy. I appreciate that. And in contrast to what Kevin talked about regarding the minimal role of GERD in childhood, uh, it is plays much more of a role in the adult with chronic cough. And this is an area that continues to uh, really uh, evolve regarding the role of acid or non-acid reflux on the cause of um, chronic cough. We're really getting away from this concept of silent cough, where Cough is the only manifestation of upper lower airway of GERD. Um, and um, the recent recommendations based on data is showing that most of the GERD that's associated with cough does have some GERD symptoms, be it heartburn, indigestion, regurgitation, um, and that recent recommendations are that you don't routinely give the multiple-month course of PPIs just to rule out GERD. Uh, so um, this is 
the, the newer recommendations uh, coming out. However, looking at the ideology of acid and non-acid GERD is that there's always been this thought that you need the laryngeal reflux. The material needs to get up into the larynx to give you a reddened throat or aspiration. And the role probably for most individuals where the gastrointestinal system is contributing cough is probably through the vagal activation of the esophagus being distended or acid or non-acid irritating the esophagus because that probably is a neurogenic signal coming from the gastrointestinal area that's activating this increased urge to cough nociceptive hypersensitivity. So um, while we're getting away from, quote, empiric treatment of PPIs, uh, most of us who treat cough clearly do lifestyle measures to keep the lower esophageal sphincter closed. Coughing in itself will open up the LAS. So coughing can beget GERD. So we emphasize that no caffeine, limit the alcohol, limit the chocolate, limit the breath mints, limit the fatty foods, don't exercise after eating, uh, which is a real nice lifestyle approach to keeping that lower esophageal sphincter shut. Mandel, I was wondering your thoughts. As you know, more and more allergists are doing rhinopharyngolaryngoscopy in their office. Do you think there's a role, uh, one, for that procedure uh, in an allergist's office uh, as part of the evaluation for chronic cough, uh, especially in adults, and uh, particularly when thinking about uh, GERD? Well, Kevin, I love that question because um, I do rhinoscopy. I've been doing it. I uh, teach it. And as part of my cough lecture is I find that next to pheno, the most important diagnostic test in adults with chronic uh, cough. Rhinoscopy not only will show upper airway disease, but it really looks at the anatomy and particularly function of the larynx. And most of the patients with cough hypersensitivity, which we will talk about, have a motor hyperfunction of their larynx and vocal cords. So you see paradoxical vocal flow movement, and also you see subtle um, hyperfunction of the uh, vocal cords. And I see a, a significant number of unilateral vocal cord paresis in adults with chronic cough, which most likely was probably from a viral neuropathic injury, which then leads them to this cough hypersensitivity. So uh, I'm a very strong proponent of uh, nasolaryngoscopy uh, uh, pharyngoscopy, uh, looking at particularly not just, again, anatomy, but function of the vocal cords. Thank you. That's, that's an excellent point. Um, I had one more question for Kevin, actually. I know that the reflux or GERD is not as commonly manifesting as cough in the pediatric patients. Um, what are some of the common manifestations of GERD in, in that population? I, I think you'd find that they are often similar to those of adults, although as, as we all know, uh, in younger children, it's, it's often difficult to uh, determine by the history if they're having the, the kind of symptoms, the burning, uh, the discomfort. Uh, one of the things that, that children often say is, is that their tummy hurts. 
or that they have a discomfort in their chest. And I think when that occurs, uh, even though GERD is unusual in children, uh, it would uh, make us think that that's a possibility and then an evaluation in that regard would be appropriate. Right. That's a great point. And something that we do see um, quite often in children um, is habit cough or habitual cough in pediatric patients. Uh, Kevin, can you expand a bit more on that and how you diagnose it? Yes, I'd, I'd be glad to. I, I think, first of all, in regard to rhinopharyngolaryngoscopy and, and habit cough, that the, that the College of Allergy uh, has... Uh, quite a role in this as they, uh, through the direction of, of Jack Selner a number of years ago, initiated uh, the courses uh, that still are very popular uh, for allergists to, to learn and to understand uh, the use of uh, rhinopharyngolaryngoscopy. In the same way, from a, a historical perspective, a habit cough was initially described by Bernie Berman, who was a past president of the American College of Allergy. And in his description uh, is something that, that I think all of us see clinically, is, is that those children who present with habit cough have a very loud, repetitive, dry, barking cough. And what I think is most important in the history is this cough is absent once a child is asleep. One of the aspects of habit cough, it's very irritating to the family. And I think that for many of us who see these children, even for a brief period of time in the office, uh, have a sense of that irritation as it's very disturbing to others and uh, interferes with, with school, school performance and often prevents children from attending school. Uh, the other aspect of habit cough is, is that it's often misdiagnosed as asthma, and often I'll see patients referred uh, that a child is having chronic cough and is not responding to asthma medicines, but indeed uh, has habit cough. So in children uh, with, uh, disrupt with very disruptive daytime cough without any other specific etiology, uh, one should always think about and entertain the diagnosis of habit cough. Right. No, that makes that makes complete sense. Uh, Mandel, about cough hypersensitivity. Going back to that, um, can you speak to that? You know, us being allergists, hypersensitivity is often something that we are asked to rule out, especially by our colleagues and even patients. Well, Pervy, um, cough hypersensitivity or cough hypersensitivity syndrome is what we're left with as a diagnosis for those adults with chronic cough who you haven't found a cause or you've thought you found causes, but they're not responding to therapy. The typical patient is a 61-year-old female who's been coughing multiple years. Cough is described as an increased tickle in their throat or 25% of them have that feeling in their upper chest. Uh, the men tend to uh, be more throat clearers, and the women will tend to have very difficultly problematic cough, again, leading to urinary incontinence. Uh, the men sometimes will get syncope, interesting enough, but uh, it's uncommon, but if I do see cough syncope, 
it will uh, tend to be uh, in a man. There's the feeling of post-nasal drip, as I've mentioned, but little objective mucus unless it's at the end of the cough. The cough does tend to uh, be very dry, and the triggers tend to be talking, laughing, smells, odors, change in temperature, air conditioning in Florida. When they turn on the car and the air conditioning goes on, they start coughing, drinking cold liquids rather than eating, all gives you the phenotypic history of cough hypersensitivity. These patients actually will not tend to cough during exercise. It may actually um, make them feel better. Now, some of them may have associated anatomic contributions, but many of them also have that vocal cord involvement that Kevin asked about. They'll get hoarse. They can be raspy. They'll talk to tightness in their upper chest and throat. And vocal cord spasm can lead to uh, shortness of breath. So this is kind of a phenotypic presentation that makes us not a diagnosis really of exclusion, while we are excluding the component of other anatomic entities. But it gives you a history of multiple historical facts that you can check off that support the diagnosis of cough hypersensitivity. Mandel, I was wondering as I was listening to you talk about cough hypersensitivity in adults, in children, a habit cough does not occur once a child goes to sleep. What, what's the What's the history in adults? Do they cough when they're sound asleep if they have this cough hypersensitivity? Cough uh, hypersensitivity tends to extinguish during sleep, similar to habit cough. And um, however, the severe coughers I've seen will wake up at night. But waking up in the middle of the night out of a sound sleep to me is one of those warning signs, similar to having copious mucus. One of the warning signs that encourage you to pursue an anatomic cause is having a cough actually wake you up. The historical point is you cough at night, it's not sufficient. Because what you'll find out is they've turned over, they got up to go to the bathroom, they're awake already. So the key historical point uh, is not do you just cough at night, is do you, does the cough wake you up? That's, that's interesting, uh, it made me think about the other question in talking to families is uh, it's better to say once your child has fallen asleep, uh, do they stop coughing? Because often if you if you ask, does your child cough at night, they will say yes, uh, because they're thinking about as the sun goes down uh, before the child goes to bed. Uh, Mandel, I had one quick question. Do you ever see itchiness as a feature of the hypersensitivity cough, either itchy throat or itchy ears? That's, that's a really interesting question because I look for these women. Do they have chronic pain? Do they have chronic itch? Uh, most of them are primarily are just the focus is on the, um, 
they, they point to different areas, but it's usually that super sternal notch, right, you know, that is, ex- and they point to it. And I would say 75% of the patients, you, you go, what, what do you feel before you cough? And they point right to their lower throat. Um, and I, but as an aside, in light of this triad of pain, itch, and cough, uh, you do see some of this autonomic dysfunction of irritable bowel, interstitial cystitis, um, chronic headaches, um, and a certain subset. And the last point is it can be familial. So you see their grandmother had it, their mother had it, their daughter has it. So there is probably some genetic, neurogenic, dysautonomic component uh, which really needs further exploration uh, by us. Mando, one last question, because I think cough hypersensitivity is so important. Do you find in your experience that this is more common in, in the overweight or obese patient? So the data does support, number one, it's Caucasian, uh, uh, and that's true in the Western world uh, versus other ethnic groups. And there is a propensity to have a higher BMI uh, in, this, in these chronic cough populations. Thank you. That's very interesting. Thank you to our guests and to the listeners. That concludes part two of our three-part series on cough from the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Please be sure to join us for our final episode on treatment options. For other interesting episodes from Allergy Talk, please visit www.college.acaai.org forward slash allergy talk. To receive CME credit for this or other eligible Allergy Talk podcasts, visit education.acaai.org forward slash allergy talk. I am Purvi Parikh for the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology.